this episode, we are giving an overview of Ukraine in 2022. Suffering and heroism of the full-scale war, Russian war crimes and genocidal violence, and the strength and resistance of Ukrainian society. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of ukraineworld.org. My co-host is Tityana Harkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist, who uh, is in charge of international outreach at the Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote majority of your assistance to help people affected by this war and to help Ukrainian defenders. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So let's talk about this year. Uh, we are recording this episode on December 31st, 2022, the last day of the year. And of course, it is stupid to ask what were the key events of this year, because obviously for Ukraine and maybe for the whole world, the key event is Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine. But uh, if we try to reflect upon it, what could be our major conclusions? Well, uh, let's come to conclusions, but let's start maybe telling our audience that while we are talking, their air alert is still here and uh, the last attack of this year is still uh, here. Many Ukrainian regions were attacked today. There were explosions in the center of Kiev. There were at least one that, as we know, at that very mi minute when we are talking and dozens of wounded already, a hotel which is, uh, which is touched by the this Russian missile or a fragment of the Russian missile. This is a city center. The same uh, picture, the same image in Khmelnytsky and in other cities. So, and we still don't know the exact uh, results of this last air attack. Let's also tell our audience that um, uh, Russians started these repetitive attacks in the last days of this year. So we had an attack uh, a day before yesterday and then the night of yesterday. So with drones, and the last, the very last. So now we are living through, we are ending this year in this uh, missile terror uh, launched by Russian troops. They are multiplying their efforts to oppress Ukrainian uh, civilians because they are aiming at civilian infrastructure. This is not at all about military. They are hitting western regions of Ukraine. So uh, the atmosphere is pretty uh, sad in a way because we know that one, at least one person is, is dead today. So this is a sad news. But, um, but yes, indeed, let's come to conclusions and maybe, maybe the news number one would be for me personally and, and I think for millions of Ukrainians is that uh, we uh, we didn't as Zaluzhny said yesterday we didn't choose this war but we were able to stand when it started against us many foreign governments were convinced that Ukraine will not be able to resist but we are still here our troops are on the ground they are 
liberating our soil, so they were they were successful enough to liberate a number of regions, starting from Kiev, Chernigiv, and Sume, and then in Kharkiv, and then in Kherson. We visited Kherson. We were able to see that Kherson is really free, even if it is still bombarded. Uh, our civil society is not at all demotivated. People have learned a lot of things during this year. They are uh, they have adapted to this uh, dramatic situation uh, with uh, electricity cuts. All of us uh, continue to do what we were expected to do, and I think that we are doing a little bit more than we expected. So Ukrainians are becoming uh, something bigger than they were just one year ago. Yeah, let's come back to this uh, to, to this uh, day. Uh, you cannot really explain why Russians would make a massive round of a missile attack on the uh, on the New Year holiday, uh, right? Uh, the only explanation is this kind of a sadistic pleasure to uh, hit the Ukrainian civilian targets on the New Year holiday. Everybody knows that in these countries of the uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, New Year is kind of a more popular uh, popular night uh, than Christmas night, although it is changing. And, uh, well, people, I was traveling through Kiev today. Uh, it is very difficult to to buy products because there are so many people in the in the supermarkets. If it's very difficult to park uh, your car because uh, everybody goes to supermarkets to buy food to make a holiday really holiday um, evening uh, dinner so it's it's a family time it's it's a time for people gathering around the family table um, children coming to their parents at home um, to their grandparents so this is really a festivity and uh, Russians just don't care and um, my estimation my forecast is that they will continue shelling Ukraine during the night of the new year so when everybody is in russia is uh, drinking vodka singing drunk songs and uh, and you know and uh, firing fireworks russians will fire the real missiles and maybe artillery to such cities as kherson or nikopol or some others this is this what makes and this is the topic we discuss lots of lots of times in this podcast this is something very sadistic in in the current russia in the in the in the very mood of the current russia uh, itself so i think one of the conclusions of this year that uh, we have opened for ourselves in ukraine and i hope worldwide this sadistic nature of the current russian regime i think even for many ukrainians it it was it was it was a news because yes we know that russia is an aggressive state yes we know that russia started its war in 2014 but uh, the level of cruelty the level of cynicism uh, the level of terrorism because they are what is terrorism is when you uh, hit not the military but civilians in order to frighten everybody that this is what they are doing so we really should be talking not about uh, some geopolitical things even not about the war for national liberation. This is really a question of good and evil. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's not be shy about this uh, during this, uh, you know, critical postmodern times when people sometimes avoid strong judgments. How can you avoid strong judgments when you are facing an enemy which shells every week shells 
100 missiles on civilian peaceful cities, targeting hospitals, targeting kindergartens, targeting uh, playgrounds, targeting schools. How can you how can you find another word for it than the word evil? So we are probably one of the conclusion of this year that evil is back. Yeah. It was hiding uh, behind the masks of, uh, of you know, semi-civilized people, people with uh, in suits, with ties, uh, like Mr. Putin, uh, um, with his very, you know, um, kind of uh, polite rhetoric. But this is evil, and evil is hiding behind this mask. Yes, indeed. But another conclusion of the year is that you can stand against evil. The thing we discovered, we Ukrainians, but I guess also our partners, all the Western partners of Ukraine who supported uh, our country during all these 10 difficult months, we discovered that this is, we are able to face this evil. We are not incapable to face uh, such cruelty, such terrorism. Uh, yes, uh, liberal world, free world, World, democratic countries were convinced that they were weak, that they were unable to resist in case of aggression, that the evil is strong, but we are on the, maybe on the, on the, on the positive side of the history, but we are incapable to act. What we discovered, Ukrainians, that it is possible for everybody to react. It's possible for everybody to act correspondingly in, in such difficult, dramatic situations and to continue the resistance. And I think that Ukrainians example, is motivating, motivates many of our friends abroad worldwide because what we see, this, it is possible that the, the democracy as a system, democracy as a worldview, democracy as values is strong enough could be strong enough to face such an aggressor. And if you are, you stay united, if you don't demotivate just because you, you think you're skeptical about everything, if you understand that your security, the life of your, uh, people, the life of your family, the life of your children depends on what you do now, so you still f find a, enough of energy to, to resist. And what I said before, I, I, I think that a large part of Ukrainian society who, be, who was very much mobilized in the beginning of this war, starting from February, March, uh, be it in the army or in, 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 in uh, volunteer movement or what, whatever they were doing, which was useful for the country, discovered that every day you can do a little bit more for the country, for yourself and for your family in comparison to what you think you were, you, you thought you were able to do. So this is about that we are still able to, to face this evil strategically. Everybody is clear for everybody that, uh, uh, that Russia uh, strategically lost this war because uh, we, we don't know, we don't even understand what is the aim now. And in the recent speeches delivered by Putin, he was uh, saying that we are, we are advancing progressively, slowly. Uh, we quoted this, his phrase in one of our previous podcasts. He was saying that, so there's no clear objective in a way. So they are punishing Ukraine by this war. They may be trying to reaffirm their role, uh, facing, f in, in a position to a civilized world. But in a way, there is no clear vision. I, 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 think, I think, I think they have some problems to explain to their own audience. Well, to, because the, the aim is obvious is to annihilate, destroy, uh, kill Ukraine as, as an idea, as a nation. Of yeah, course, but, they, but they this is not. Yeah, but this is yeah. This is one thing. But this could not. If you ask people, uh, uh, frankly, on the I don't know on in the streets of Moscow, Saint Petersburg, and and you ask them, do you agree that there is a very 
important aim of this war and of you of you personally being mobilized this is about that you have to kill the most uh, big number of ukrainians or whatever destroy their cities or their energy structure normal people will say no so we are not about this so this war they're trying to pre- still pre- they're still trying to pretend that this is a defensive war so what they are doing they're trying to say that you are defending your motherland when they mobilize and people by the way let's also mention that they will start the fifth on the fifth of, of January they will start the new wave of mobilization in Russia so they will be trying to mobilize much more people let's let's try to classify because we can talk about everything the first conclusion of this year is that evil exists right and uh This is kind of a, this sadistic evil which which has a cult of violence. Second conclusion that democracies are strong and uh, Ukraine is resisting precisely because it is a democracy. Democracy which uh, not only it, – it's not – it's like the famous Tocqueville was saying about democracy. Democracy is not about the form of government. The, the democracy is, is about a certain organization of society where individuals and groups feel empowered and feel responsible. Let's move to another conclusion, and I would say that uh, another conclusion is that uh, societies can uh, change, and uh, societies can go through a remarkable transformation. And I think this is this is what is happening with Ukraine right now. Uh, what you mentioned already: how many people changed their roles, went to the army, became volunteers. Uh, our president has completely changed, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. So. It's a remarkable transformative power, something probably in the traditional societies which was played by these uh, rituals of initiation. This is something which is going on in Ukraine. I don't think that Russia is, is changing. I think that Russia is in this demonic, vicious circle of the eternal repetition of itself. And therefore, Russian slogan, we can repeat, it becomes really a, it's, it's condemnation, it's a damned uh, vicious circle of its history. What is the next conclusion? The next conclusion is that on, not only Ukrainian society, but, but European and American society could change. Uh, we do remember in the beginning of this war, there were a lot of skepticism about the future. There were uh, uh, quite quite a big number of doubts about the situation. And, for example, uh, there were no weapons supply in the first weeks just because everybody was convinced that uh, Ukraine was, will fail. And we now see that... Uh, uh, international community and many countries change their attitudes. We've seen the evolution of German attitude. Uh, we are still a little bit ironic about it here in Ukraine, but still we can see that Germany and many other countries, they uh, they sent important weapons to Ukraine, Germany, which it was unthinkable, unthinkable for Germany to support military uh, one part of the war. So now they are sending, they already send uh, important, very sophisticated modern air defense systems. We are talking about tanks, the This is not successful at that moment, but this will change. Uh, we are talking about fly jet, about jets, fighting jets, which would probably, as we hope, arrive from the United States. So, so I, I, I mean that societies are also changing. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, the attitude of European societies towards migrants was uh, kind of ambiguous. Let us say it's so because uh, this is a labor market, this is um, unemployment trade, this is uh, always social problems linked to migration. So well, but what we what we noticed during this wave of migration from Ukraine, that Ukrainian people were 
really uh, accepted with a lot of hospitality, with a great openness. And we, we, we are never tired to thank uh, everybody, to thank uh, um, governments and also people from, uh, from all European and Western countries, Canada as well, and United States who accepted our people uh, and who supported them. So this is very important. So this new humanism is a, a remarkable, could be a remarkable conclusion, uh, conclusion of of this evolution of the societies uh, in the West. Right. The fifth conclusion, I would say that this is a, a conclusion that, um, well, how would I, how I would uh, formulate it? Um, I would say that this is, this is the idea that Ukrainians have formulated long time ago. I remember one of my texts of 2014 or 15, uh, the fear to provoke Putin is actually provoking Putin. The fear to provoke Russia provokes Russia. And I think we can say the same about the uh, Third World War. Everybody is afraid of the Third World War. Uh, and uh, people in the West are trying are doing the, their best to avoid it and we totally understand it. Nobody wants it to spill over to the Third World War and Ukrainians are least to, uh, to want it, of course. But uh, imagine Ukraine fails, in, in, falls. Imagine Ukraine is defeated. Russia is presenting this war for its own citizens as the war with the West. For Russians, defeating Ukraine in this war would mean that uh, the, the West is defeated, that uh, Russia has defeated the West in one of the battles of something they already named the Third World War. And of course, this will encourage them to move farther. They would say, if we defeated the West in Ukraine, we would defeat it in Poland, in Lithuania, in Estonia, in Latvia, and wherever else. And I think this is a big danger. To avoid the Third World War, we need to defeat Russia. This is the, the major objective. Don't have these illusions that you will have a peace agreement and then it will somehow to come down. We already have this experience in 2014. Only the military defeat of Russia, which would lead to substantial, which would lead to regime change, uh, which would might lead to a substantial reorganization of Russian empire, maybe turning it into a real federation with multiple centers of power. Uh, only this will be able to avoid the Third World War. Yes, indeed. And maybe another conclusion, but linked to, to one you've mentioned, is about nuclear threats. So during these 10 months of Russian aggression, we've heard many times about these nuclear threats coming from Russia. And I think there were many new things discovered by the whole world about nuclear weapons that in a way uh, everybody understands, in, I mean, in the civilized world, that nuclear weapons must not be used under any any circumstances. And we also discovered about our Western partners, not about Ukraine, because Ukraine is not a nuclear state starting from 1990s, uh, that nobody is ready to use nuclear weapons. And it is possible at the same time to dissuade Russia, dissuade any kind of aggressor from using nuclear weapons by using strong arguments uh, the traditional weapons. What happened during this conflict when Russia was uh, was uh, threatening, was blackmailing the whole world? There were some arguments communicating communicated by the United States first of all, and they stopped their nuclear uh, blackmail. So, nuclear weapons are not functioning, no more functioning. It's it's a virtual thing, and at that very moment, ten 
months after the war started, there is a, a understanding that even if Russia is defeated, not, not, not if and even when Russia is completely defeated, they will not use nuclear weapons, not the most. So the probability is much higher uh, compared to everything else. So we are no more in this uh, Cold War. We are no more in the 20th century where this scenario could be possible. So put away these nuclear, nuclear threats. You can stand, you can face nuclear threats using different arguments. You have not only to, to threaten them, to blackmail them with, with nuclear. So th this could be functional. The next con conclusion, I think, it's related to one that we already discussed, is uh, what Václav ha Havel said famously in his essay, remember, the, the, the force of the forceless. Uh, we would rename it right now probably as the, the strength of the, the greatness of small people. Uh, the, the small people or the fact that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. I think this is one of the conclusions of this war. With, when we are talking about Ukraine, every particular person has power. Every particular person has strength. And we have seen uh, heroic deeds of Ukrainian soldiers who are having individual weapons on their shoulder, individual little grenade or rocket, uh, anti-air defense rocket, uh, are downing the the Russian missiles, for example. So this this character is also absolutely remarkable, right? So how ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And in our podcast, we have told you lots of stories like this uh, from the villages of Kiev, Oblast, from Kherson, from Mykolaiv, from Kharkiv regions. Region, we we are looking for the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary. And things. at the same time, what we see, maybe another conclusion, is that uh, this uh, the strength of the uh, of the small people, ordinary people. We also observe uh, this uh, not only in Ukraine but also abroad. We see how how European citizens and how Americans and Canadians they they also join for to deliver uh, humanitarian uh, aid here in Ukraine. We ex have this experience when, for example, a, a normal family is sending money or for example some of our friends living in 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 a european country they send generators so these kind of things are important so this kind of participation in this victory because when things are going and when we are talking about evil about real evil about the the necessity to stand against to resist the evil so people are un more united than ever and they feel that they are capable to to help really concretely in their own uh, lives in their own uh, according to their own possibilities and uh, they are also game changers so in a way they this is not only about governments this is not only about Zelensky and or Biden or some other uh, leaders of uh, of of government foreign governments but this is also about about people that this this solidarity with Ukraine, we do feel it daily with letters of people coming who send letters of support, and not not only us for sure, but many Ukrainians. We feel that support, and we see that uh, once again it's uh, it, it's a game changer as well. No, so at the same scale as uh, important decisions made on, on the military field or between governments. The next conclusion, I, I already don't remember which uh, which number it is. I think it is seventh or eighth. 
So the next one is that uh, Russia is still strong. And uh, the sanctions, there are many rounds of sanctions from the European Union, they still do not succeed uh, in weakening Russia. Russia is able to produce new weapons. Russia is able to mobilize much more people. Russia is able to sell its gas and oil throughout the world. Russia is actually increasing its GDP during this year, not decreasing it. Um, we will see whether the restrictions on oil exports will work, but um, but unfortunately, we we need to admit that uh, Russia is also resilient economically, and the war is also is always about economics. It's always about the capacity, the resources, uh, etc. So we need to understand that this is our common war with the free world. <clears throat> this is a war, not only Ukraine's war. This is not only a war to defend Ukraine. This is really a war of the free world, and the free world should stand with Ukraine until the end, until the the moment when Ukraine. Uh, uh, wins this war, and this might uh, might take years. This this maybe might take months. We don't know. Actually, Ukrainians are decisive to do many good things already next year. Let's hope for that. But we should also prepare for a long fight. Yes, and another discovery is about Russian society. We were expecting a kind of uh, kind of a protest uh, from the very beginning of this war, begin in February, then in March. And what we discovered during this long ten months of this the, the war last is that Russian society, unfortunately, is still incapable to to produce any kind of alternative political leadership which would be effective in such a situation. So we were putting at least some hope in a in different situations where it could be popular, uh, popular protests and manifestations somewhere in the big cities, or it could be could be protests of oligarchs or some elites, Russian elites, or or even military. At that very moment, ten months after the war started, we can conclude that in at that very stage, Russian society is unable to produce an alternative, an effective alternative to what the regime is. And the conclusion is that when we are Ukrainians are pretty much irritated when this war is called in the West sometimes Putin's war or Putin's regime's war. Yes, it is Putin's war, but not only. We have no, at least we don't see any kind of uh, alternative model. How would you replace this Putin's regime? How would you de-imperialize Russia? Uh, how how would you, what, what are your suggestions for, for change, real change, political change and military I don't, ideological change in Russia? And uh, even if we understand that a part of population don't doesn't support this war for, for various region, reasons. They are unable. They are silent. They are afraid. They are uh, uh, unable to to do anything. So and so, no hope, unfortunately, for their home task. I mean, uh, Russian society is still not uh, ready to make it its part of the home task. How to change things? They are unfortunately. Uh, incapable to do so now. So that's why a lot of things are to be done by Ukrainians, by Ukrainian troops, first of all, but also by Europeans, by our Western partners, in order to sanctions, uh, pressure, isolation, in order to produce some change. Yeah, and the question is, okay, if the change is possible in Russia, and of course, that there should be some source of change. And we are really skeptical about Russian society, maybe this will change. 
We are skeptical right now about entourage of Putin. We see that they are absolutely helpless, um, forceless people. And many of them are actually supporting the war. So maybe one of the uh, one of the ideas that are discussed in the Ukrainian society is that the source of change can come from the army. Army can be uh, disappointed. The army can be frustrated about being on the war. This is what happened uh, in 1917 when the revolts in the army actually brought uh, a coup d'etat, the Bolshevik coup d'etat, which was also not, not unfortunately, just the regeneration of the Russian Empire. But uh, again, we are coming back to the story that the only solution uh, is Russian military defeat. And maybe the last conclusion is that we have also seen how old the Russian regime is. That it is really the the regime of the old people. This is really a uh, totalitarian, semi-totalitarian gerontology. Uh, we see how old Putin is, how people in his entourage are all around the seventies. How tired they are, and uh, maybe this is this might be a kind of a source of hope. Uh, that uh, the younger people in Russia are absolutely are much more indifferent to this war or are against this war. So maybe it's also a question of generations. But if this is true, then uh, it can take a long time for these generations to change. Yes, indeed. Let's hope that there will be generation change. But unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, young people die a lot in Ukraine and children's, children die in Ukraine because of these old uh, charismatic leaders. Yeah. And uh, let's hope that uh, there will be a change in, in some time. And um, let's, let's say it clearly, uh, despite all the Russian weakness, weaknesses and all the Ukrainian counteroffensive this year, uh, time is mostly playing on Russia's side because it has much more resources, internal resources. It has more people. And therefore, we cannot waste time. Ukrainians and our partners in the free world cannot waste time. We actually should aim at... Uh, a victory, a big victory uh, in 2023. And for this, we need weapons, we need support, we need, uh, we need much more engagement, we need understanding that it's not that the free world is helping Ukraine, that we are actually in the same boat, that this is our common defense, common, common resistance. Uh, because uh, we, we, we do estimate here in Ukraine that Russia is a declining empire, that this is an empire which is going through the last stages of its development. This is on the brink of disintegration. But uh, everything can happen. And uh, uh, and still this decay, this disintegration, this decadence can last for decades. And we should also, I think, understand this. So this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, who uh, heads the international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Follow us, uh, share our content. We are very active uh, on podcasts, on Twitter, on Facebook. Uh, also, go to our site, ukraineworld.org. You will find lots of analysis, lots of interesting stories, testimonials of, the, of, of, of people, and you can also check the website of Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.